0: You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG
1: bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple Biff Klobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Faye. Good afternoon, Bobo. How you doing? Good, Cliff. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. A little excited. We have a brand new type of episode today, kind of an experiment. You ready for this? Uh, Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be a lot of fun or it could go horribly wrong. So um, either way, our listeners are in for the ride with us. We'll see what they have to say after this whole thing's done. I'm sure we'll get plenty of feedback on it, good or bad. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and fill in the listeners on what we're doing today. Uh, We thought it would be kind of fun to basically watch either television shows or movies or something like that with Bobo and I, you know, giving commentary along the way. You know, saying things that we think about it or heckling the people on camera or whatever it is. And of course, we can't show the video and play the audio because that's you know that's it's owned by whoever. Um, It's owned by big networks, and of course we don't want to get sued. But we're going to try to do episodes of things that are available at home for other people on various streaming services or on YouTube or something like that. So what better way to start this kind of uh, experiment than watching Finding Bigfoot? So if uh, you are at home then you can go ahead and uh, log on to Discovery Plus or Animal Planet Go or Amazon Prime or Hulu or YouTube TV or any of the various platforms that carry Finding Bigfoot. And what we're going to do is we're going to all push play at the same time. And then um, we're going to watch the episode together. And Bobo and I are going to tell you behind the scenes stuff and tell stories and uh, share things that perhaps didn't make the final edit. And there's a ton of that stuff.
2: Dude, I, go, um, and,
1: I go all day on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll try to keep the episodes less than four hours. Um, <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. And of course, for people driving in your car, I, I know a lot of you guys out there listen to Bigfoot and beyond while in your car or running or, or you know, exercising at the gym and all that sort of stuff. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of describe the scene. So you've seen the episodes, you're gonna know what we're talking about. And um, and you're gonna hang out with Cliff and Bobo and occasionally special guests and watch an episode. And speaking of special guests, uh, I thought the easiest and lowest hanging fruit we could possibly grab would be Matt Pruitt. Now, Matt of course is a legitimate Bigfooter in his own right. Um, he's part of the NAWAC and he's also our producer and editor So he's our editor and producer for Bigfoot and Beyond podcast. So, But he was also on the crew for the very, very first episode aired of Finding Bigfoot, the Georgia episode. Season one, episode one, the Georgia episode where we investigate the dash cam video, where that thing runs across the road in front of the cop car. Matt was a producer on that show, and uh, we thought it'd be fun to have him on. He can kind of give us a little insight into his experience Filming one of the very, very first Finding Bigfoot episodes. So Matt's out there somewhere. Matt, can you hear me?
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to make. That was in my hometown of Helen, Georgia. So it was uh, probably the first exposure that Helen ever had on TV. So I guess the uh, the city owes me a little bit.
1: <laughs> they owe you everything. Yeah.
0: I built this town.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to get into it. And and just so you know, the the procedures out there, if you are watching at home, or if you want to go back after you listen to your car and go watch the episode along with us, um, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to start the video at the same time. Right now, I I happen to be looking at Discovery Plus's version. Okay, it shouldn't matter, though. Um, discovery plus is of course the new discovery, you know, uh, streaming service where you can watch the new episode and all the other ones as well. But we are starting right now where the, the counter at the bottom is at zero, 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 like it's all zeroed out. I've got a a play sign in the middle of my screen and what we're going to do when we, when we start together, we're not doing it now, but this is the procedure. Uh, We're going to go three, two, one play, and everybody will push play at the same time. That way, we should be more or less synced up, whether you're uh, talking on microphones like us three are, or whether you're watching at home. Now, sometimes we're going to want to say something and probably kind of go off a little bit about something. Um, So we're going to be pausing occasionally as well. And we're going to pause in the same way. Three, two, one, pause. And then we can ramble and talk and heckle and do what we like to do. And then when we start again, we'll of course use the procedure three, two, one, play. So again, push play or pause when I say those words play or pause. Three, two, one, play or three, two, one, pause. Okay. You've all been subjected to teacher cliff for the last minute and a half. That's exactly how I teach my 10 year olds. So there you go. Any questions out there? No? Good. How about Bobo and Matt? You guys got questions or comments? What's your sign, handsome? I'm a Sagittarius. Ooh, all right, here we go. All right, here we go. Then here we go. Everybody ready? Get your you know fingers on the play button here. Bobo, ready? Oh, you know it. All right, three, two, one, play. Oh, I love how it starts out with Bobo just running. I wish every TV show started out with that. Oh, uh, we're all so young and thin. All right. Now, of course, this is uh, the the preview of the show. We're kind of going through clips and all that sort of stuff before the the intro.
0: Lovely downtown Helen, Georgia, mock Bavarian town. A little bit yeah. of Europe in Appalachia. <laughs>
2: Dude, I could already stop this thing 10 times. Probably. Well, look at Renee. She looks so young. So does Cliff. I know. Young, skinny Cliff. 11 years ago, this was. It's
1: a long time. Yeah. Oh, 10 years ago, actually. It was February of 2011 we filmed this. Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, her name was Georgia, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. Oh yeah, I always like the, uh, the the intro, you know, where it kind of goes through all the characters Taylor and stuff. Mountain. Yeah, and they pieced it together all from season one. Never changed it either. I like that. Even though the lenses were dirty.
2: <laughs> That's where this was recorded. The George episode. There's a squatch in these woods, right?
1: Yeah, it became kind of our tagline.
0: We're literally in the woods behind the house that I grew up in. I'm sure we'll get to that. We'll talk about it, but literally like a mile behind that house. Kansas. That is definitely my stomping grounds, the Chattahoochee National Forest for many years and still to this day. Yeah. And then a good buddy of mine named John McConnell had to run up to North Georgia to take those photos of track rock because that wasn't taken during the production. They wanted to insert those afterwards. And so uh, I was already back. I was living in Oklahoma at the time. And so a buddy of mine ran up there and took those still images that they showed.
1: Track rock. What's that, what's that about?
0: Track rock gap is uh, one of the oldest archaeological sites in the eastern United States. Uh, it's oh, a
2: dash cam.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's either very late uh, Archaic Indian period or very early Cherokee Indian period, but it's petroglyphs that include very, very large human-like tracks compared, oh. you know, contrasted to, to smaller human-like tracks. So it's That's kind cool. of one of the oldest "quote unquote" clues or indicators or or something of that nature of the awareness of Sasquatches in the southeast. Gotcha.
2: Where did that video come from? The dash cam.
0: That was right over the county line in Lumpkin County, Georgia, near the town of Dahlonega. I actually grew up with the officer who captured that footage. And so I'm sure once we get to that port, well, since it's kind of in there now, I guess I can touch on it. But he was a guy I grew up with I knew for a long time. And so he was very aware of my interest in what I did. And I was living in Seattle at the time. And he called me immediately after that happened. He was actually on his way back to the station. And he said, I think I might have video of one of these on my dash cam. They hadn't even gotten back to the station to review it yet. And uh, it was a big deal. You know, we were all pretty excited about it. And I actually had to fly back to Georgia to view it because at the time it was on this proprietary like law enforcement uh, file type that you had to view through this thing called ICOP was the only player that you could use to view that stuff. So I had to fly all the way back to Georgia to look at it. So, of course, during that time, like my expectations were so high and so of course as you see the video isn't quite as detailed as we all wish it was but it was very interesting for sure now of course the the police officer didn't want to
1: be on the episode uh can you tell us a little bit about that
0: yeah at the time he still worked for that sheriff's department Uh, this woman that you see there mary scott um her son actually worked for the sheriff's department too at the same time and so she was a a civilian ride-along for quite a few of uh these officers and and during some of their patrols and things of that nature but because my friend was still working there he was a little afraid of being you know associated with the production about it we actually did a show a couple years ago for discovery on the science channel called strange evidence and uh, he did appear in that to talk about the dash oh he did yeah so he subsequently um talked about it on camera but at the time just was not willing to risk it wasn't willing to do it which was unfortunate
2: i noticed i got tape on my fingers like that yeah because i just came straight from crabbing and you always tape your fingers out because you get like slices and stuff.
1: Yeah, but don't you also shower after you come home from Crab and Bubs? Um, if I have time, a lot of times <laughs> I just go home, get food, and go back. Well, I'm glad I didn't sit next to you on the plane. <laughs> You know, something important about this dash cam video is that uh, having a dash cam is a very inexpensive and very effective way of going bigfooting. footing. Um, uh, my contractor, Keith, he's, we're kind of turning him into a big footer. He's really into it right now. He just bought um, a really high quality uh, dash cam for $100, $100, which isn't really that much money when it comes to bigfooting gear. And so if you're driving around in Bigfoot country, you slap a a, a dash cam on, you might come up with your own footage because about half, about half of sightings of Sasquatches occur on roads at night. That's pretty good odds as far as Bigfooting goes. Moneymaker. Short hair
0: before the long hair. I had to do a lot of detective work to find uh, Mary Scott here because nobody would give me her name. Um, So I I had to do a whole lot of sleuthing to find her. And uh, once I had a name, there were a lot of people with that name in that area. So I didn't just call, call, call. And eventually this guy answered and I was like, hey, may I speak with Mary Scott? Oh, who's calling and why and so i was like well i'm i'm looking for the mary scott that saw what might have been a sasquatch cross in front of a uh sheriff's deputy on patrol and then he was like oh yeah and gave me all this information and then she agreed to do it which i'm very grateful for Uh, but it was not easy to find her because uh, my friend that was the officer that she was riding with did not he was like look i can't give out the names of these people and even though we're friends stop asking me so it it took (laughs) some sleuthing for sure now, this scene was extremely fun and and somewhat dangerous to film because, obviously, you know, you guys can speak to that more than me. But I was out there. And so, like, I was on one end of the road, you know, down maybe a couple hundred yards. And then we had some other PAs up the road a few hundred yards just watching for traffic in real time in the dark, trying to radio to you guys when cars were coming or not so that you could successfully film this without getting splattered.
1: Yeah. We should all be thankful Moneymaker wasn't driving, though. He would have hit us. I, I
0: would have got hit for
1: sure. See, I was standing on the side of the road. He would have taken you out first, and swerve and got me. Renee's a crazy driver, too, though. She doesn't, oh, yeah, yeah, hardly she's, better. She's the one that crashed. She crashed like three times on the show. Yeah, Money uh, drives pretty fast, but he's pretty low on crashes. Just England, where he hit the mirror. Yeah, yeah.
2: Look at that. If I wasn't wearing my logging boots, I'd have been way faster.
0: You're like greased lightning.
2: I would have waited longer, but Hamill was yelling,
0: go, go, go.
2: Well,
0: if I recall correctly, I think we did that like at least three times.
1: Yeah, for sure. At least three. Even I ran across once or twice. Yeah, we did all sorts of different uh, cameras. Because at this point, we didn't really have the show together yet. You know, I mean, we, we barely got the format together in uh, North Carolina, which is the first one that we filmed. And I think this was the second one uh, that we filmed about a week later. People ask me, did you release Run in front of Car state I'm like, hell yeah, we
2: used to go streaking.
0: Yeah, it's just so unfortunate that the actual dash cam footage is such a low resolution and it's right at the edge of the headlights. And Because, you know, both uh, the officer and Mary Scott could see it really clearly. I mean, they both described to me in in great detail how clearly they could see it. But it just does not translate at all in the video. No. no.
1: Then there's that whole cover story that the police uh, came up with about finding the kids with the suit on the car yeah. and stuff. It's like. Oh, yeah,
0: we should definitely get into that. Maybe that's good, like post hoc afterwards. But yeah, there's, I've got a lot to say about that, because there were various versions of that story that were told uh, at the time, and then subsequently that we can get into.
1: Okay, maybe I'll wait till the end of the scene here. And then we'll, 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 we'll do our first pause. We can talk about that. And of course, it went right over a barbed wire fence. I, I have the measurements of that fence in my notes, but uh, it was quite, it's over four feet, if I remember right, and then went down into the woods. The cops got out afterwards and looked around. <clears throat> I think he even said he saw eyes shine or something. Yeah. Well, no, they both saw it. Well, let's go ahead and pause this. Ready? Everybody getting ready to pause. Three, two, one, pause. All right. Let's get a little bit deeper to the dash cam here because, again, the police officer got out and looked around and shined his light down in the woods. There was ice shine. There was a barbed wire fence there. Um, there's a lot more going on here. And then, of course, there was some sort of cover-up story from the police department or something like that, some sort of a, no, this didn't happen, nothing to see here, move along, you know, one of those things. What can you tell so, us about that, Matt?
0: Certainly. So, yeah, like I said, he called right after this happened. And I was living in Seattle at the time. It uh, It was 2009. And he described what had happened. He said, we're on our way back to the station right now to look at it, to see if I actually got it. And so, you know, not much was made of it. There was some discussion within the station. Um, You know, it was interesting, but inconclusive. And so after some time, you know, we had put together some kind of info kits for a few potential episodes once Animal Planet had kind of picked up the show. And so I pitched this North Georgia episode through Moneymaker because I was a member of the BFRO at the time. And I had all these witnesses and various things I had collected over the years, including that dash cam footage. And so that got greenlit. So during that time, I had reached out back to my friend that was the officer, because I, I guess I technically, I mean, there was no crime associated with it, right? And so anything that's documented in those cases is, is public record. It's you, you have a right to it. So I said, okay, how can I get, you know, formally a copy of this and file a request? And so it was during that process, and uh, the producer, Natalie Hewson, had gotten permits to film in the Chattahoochee National Forest. And so there was some kind of like town hall meeting, Uh, about the goings-on, like chamber of commerce kind of a thing. And someone had brought up, oh, yeah, this production company working for Animal Planet got permits to film in the National Forest. They're doing this Bigfoot show. And so that started this little local news story in an outlet called the Dahlonega Nugget uh, because Dahlonega is where the first gold rush in America happened. So that's why it's called the Dahlonega Nugget. And so they had gone to the sheriff and said, hey, what about this? And he had basically said, oh, yeah, you know, I actually went out there the very next day and was uh, knocking on doors. And then I found these kids and they were very nervous and I grilled them about it. And then subsequently, their father came to me and said, hey, are, are my boys in trouble? Uh, because it was actually them in a suit. And he said, well, no, they're not in any trouble and let it go at that. And so that was kind of the version that got passed around and printed at the time. My friend that was an officer there at the time was like, well, that's the first I've ever heard of that story. Because again, this happened in May of 2009 and we were getting the permits and all this to film in uh, January of 2011. And so no one had ever heard this version of the story that the sheriff had gone out there on his day off to investigate something where no crime occurred and it solved the case without telling anyone. So we all, that was pretty suspicious you know when we were filming that episode remember moneymaker actually went in there and he was trying to talk to them they wouldn't really talk to him on on yeah. record about
1: it. yeah moneymaker has balls man that's one thing you got to give that one of many things you got to give to that guy we he he kind of almost strong-handed the entire production company caravan to pull over to the cop shop where you know the, the police officers were based out of and went in and went to the counter and kind of started you know, pushing and prodding and poking and demanding and stuff and to no avail. But man, Moneymaker has cojones.
0: Yeah. So the version that we got uh, a few years ago when we did this thing for the Science Channel for Strange Evidence was he said that he had gone out there, uh, Sheriff Gerard had gone out there and that the suit was laying in the yard of this house surrounded with beer cans and that the kids came out and laughed and fessed up to it and that he took photos of them posing with the suit which was like vastly different than the original story he had told. And so who knows? But, you know, I the the interview that they did with him for, for Strange Evidence, I wasn't uh, present for, but I wanted to ask him like, so, you know, how often do you go investigate things where there's no crime whatsoever on your day off? Like, is this kind of standard procedure? So it seemed like, and I'm not a conspiratorial thinker in any way, shape, or form, but it just seemed like kind of a convenient solution to this problematic little story. Uh, Obviously, we'll never know whether it was a Sasquatch or not, but yeah, it it did move very quickly in the dark. It crossed a four-strand barbed wire fence effortlessly, and then they could still see it. If if you watch the raw dash cam footage, which I'm sure is online at this point, when he gets out and he's shining the light down there, not only can he see it, but um, Mary Scott can see it, and she's saying, she's like, look, it's right there, it's right there, it's swaying back and forth and back and forth. So she's describing in real time seeing it still standing there you know, while wow, this patrol car has its lights and sirens on, you know, so if it was a guy in a suit, he knew he was busted. And to stand out in the open like that when an officer is armed and and ready for something is probably not the best idea. But but who knows? So yeah, there was there was some weirdness about the uh, the quote unquote cover story, or at least the response story, however you want to frame it from the uh, sheriff's department. There,
1: well, you know, a, a lot of stuff, like whether sightings, Patterson Gimlin film, footprints, so many things that pop up in in, in the Bigfoot world. People later come out and make some sort of story about it just to kind of smooth things over or, no, no, that never happened. Oh, this and that. Then you get two or three conflicting reports, and that's one of the things. You just kind of have to look at uh, the various conflicting reports about any particular piece of evidence and think, well, if all the – especially the conflicting reports are coming from one person. They say, well, it can't all be true, so maybe the real thing actually is true, you know, in this case, the the dash cam video. And, you know, uh, Mary and then the officer in the car, they both apparently thought it was a Sasquatch at the time. We'll never know, like you said, but I think it's pretty compelling nonetheless. All right, so we jump back in? Yeah. Okay, three, two, one, Play. Oh, yeah, the early episodes, you kind of have to explain what thermal imaging is, because back then, 2011, it wasn't nearly as common as it is today. That's that backpack I had that had screws straight in my back. Oh, they were, they're they are
0: always terrible, but they were the worst back then. Yeah. Yeah, this was actually filmed in Smithgall woods which is a it's managed by the georgia state park system it used to be called duke's creek woods but you know there was no public land to film near the dash Camp site so this is actually uh, the house i grew up in sits literally on the boundary of this which is then surrounded by the chattahoochee national forest on the northern and western sides uh, but so these are the woods i grew up playing in as a kid literally like walking out the back door straight into this you know multi-thousand acreage uh, state owned conservation area. And there were sightings coming from, you know, s- people seeing Sasquatches moving in and out of this area. One of which is in this episode that we'll touch on when that comes to that, but we're literally in the woods behind my mom's house, uh, about a mile uh, behind the house I grew up with uh, filming this. So it was kind of cool to see that. And then especially to see it in the intro of every episode, cause moneymaker says his kind of uh, tagline spontaneously out there. Yeah, there's a, a waterway called Duke's Creek that passes through this uh, Smithgall Woods, and that's the primary waterway. So one of the witnesses you'll see later saw an adult male Sasquatch following that waterway and cross a road uh, as she was driving. But it was a it was a good area. If you guys remember, it was awfully cold. Like, being in North Georgia in February, is not—just because you're in the south doesn't mean it's any warmer, you know?
2: Well, it was, like, extra, extraordinarily cold when we were there. Like, it was—
0: almost not quite record it was also uh kind of fun and exciting later to see clips of this being parodied on uh, talk soup with joel McHale afterwards
1: oh yeah yeah they heckle me pretty hard for practicing bigfoot calls in the shower but i mean how does he do it you know (laughs) yeah here's the recap of course and you know you may notice that moneymaker is almost always the person doing the recap and part of that is because he lives in la or just south thereof so a lot of times he can come in and do these voiceovers and stuff Um, but the tradition kind of started early yeah because he could drive there yeah you could drive there and they wouldn't have to buy that was the rock throw right there that one (laughs) yeah that turned into something that's still being thrown around on twitter and whatnot yeah that's the classic line of the show for sure yeah
2: totally oh moneymaker caught so much crap over that clement
1: he discovered wood knocks well, technically, I got to give him, we got to give them some credit though. Now, the first written account of tree knocks was from Bob Titmus in the yeah. like, late. Well, yeah, actually, he wrote it in the late fifties, and it was published later. But um, he noticed while he's in Bluff Creek tracking one of the Sasquatches in nineteen fifty-eight or fifty-nine um, that it sounded like it was banging on a log with another stick. Now, that's the first written account. But to be fair, I'm not aware of any other earlier accounts. Of trying to elicit responses from Sasquatches. See, Moneymaker, when he was going to law school in Eastern uh, Ohio, he was hanging out with the Mennonites a little bit because they were seeing these Bigfoots in this one valley. And one of the Mennonite farmers commented to Matt that uh, he noted that um, when he's out chopping wood, you know, bah, bah, sometimes they would get answers from the woods of, and what they thought were Sasquatches because they'd been seeing them in the area and there were deer kills and all this other stuff. So Matt kind of put two and two together. So we got to give him credit because I'm not not aware of anybody earlier than the mid-90s trying to knock to get responses from Sasquatches. So Matt didn't discover tree knocking, but he was the first person, to my knowledge at least, that uh, was trying to get responses from them by doing so.
0: Yeah, I wasn't up on the trails with you guys in that point in time. Myself and uh, Tyler Bounds and a good friend of mine named Chris Thacker, who I grew up with, who's in this episode later, was a PA. We were all kind of uh, by the box trucks, just hearing the updates coming over the radio and and, uh, hearing you guys get excited about hearing stuff. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, that place is actually, it's closed at night. They they close gates and uh, overnight camping is only by permit only. Uh, so when we were getting those permits, you know, I was able to kind of impress upon the people there that, uh, you know, I was a local, I grew up there, I had all this familiarity with everything. And so we got a lot of access to a lot of things. Not only did, you know, they gave us all the access to Smithgall to be wherever we wanted to be, but it was the same with the Chattahoochee National Forest at night. We actually, they gave us a master key that would open all the gates in the National Forest and said, yeah, just be careful. Go have fun. Uh, nice. So, it was uh, definitely a treat for me for having you know spent so much time out there to get that kind of access as a result of the production.
1: There are certain perks to being associated with the TV show, for sure. That's funny. That's when you. And, that's when you and MoneyMaker
2: used to just everyone thought you guys were like Big Brother, Little Brother.
0: <laughs> yeah, we got that. I got that a lot, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> well, they thought you were a MoneyMaker himself.
0: So there's there's Helen. It's a, certainly an, an odd place to grow up, for sure. It's the third biggest tourist town in Georgia. So there's Atlanta, Savannah, and then Helen in terms of like annual visitorship. And so uh, Ooh, that it's candy a, store is killer. Well, the owner of the candy store remembers one of the uh, the witnesses. Yeah. Yeah, she sent
2: me a box of candy in the mail one time after we were there. Oh, is her name Joy or Joyce?
0: Janet. Janet, yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, a few of these people, because, you know, the town hall, there was no there was no uh, precedent for town hall meetings because it, the show was still kind of coming together in terms of format. And so it was just like this last minute thing, like, hey, can you call a lot of your friends and have them show up? So it looks like there's this meeting. And so a lot of the people you see in this audience are witnesses that I knew from other areas, uh, people I went to high school with, people I've known since like elementary school and other friends of mine. So that was uh, kind of neat to get everyone there together and see them on camera together.
1: It was a small little thing, though. I think there were like six or twelve people total, and or six witnesses
0: and twelve people, or something. Uh, yeah, it was very much a last-minute thing.
2: Oh, this guy! This is the guy who's going to kick MoneyMaker's ass, remember? Hmm.
0: Yeah, this woman, Darla. I've known her since sixth grade, and she had contacted me about these tracks that her husband found up on Bull Mountain literally as we were putting together this episode. And so the timing was really serendipitous and no one knew we were putting it together. You know, it was like totally hush, hush up until that point. So it was like, Oh, there's this chance that those tracks still might be out there. And you know, would her husband's name's Jeff is a really cool guy. It's like, Hey, do you think Jeff would be on camera and talk about having found these? And so uh, a lot of serendipitous things came together to make all this happen for sure.
2: But I always think MoneyMaker looks the same, besides his hair length. Like his, but he does look—he looks really young there.
1: Yeah, besides his uh, Matt's youthful appearance, I think the Bull Mountain thing was probably the highlight of the episode. Of course, second to Matt's youthful appearance. <laughs> look at these lousy maps they had back then. Yeah, we sure have improved the show quite a bit from first season.
0: This scene where Janet's describing having seen that male cross the road, it was following Duke's Creek moving west to east out of Smithgall Woods. And where this spot is, is, is maybe between half a mile and a mile from the house I grew up in. So it's like I could walk down the hill and end up at this spot of the road, like right down there on Duke's Creek. And so her sighting was actually one of the very first ones that I investigated in the, my early years of collecting stories from local witnesses uh, around North Georgia. Uh, But she saw that thing on on Thanksgiving Day of 1999. And interestingly, like the encounter that I had that got me started on all this was right in that same general area in the summer of 1999. And so it only occurred to me like, you know, a, a year or two later after interviewing her that, oh, man, what we experienced might have been the same individual that she saw. You know, she's
1: describing how this thing froze, like froze on one leg or whatever, in front of her car, and because it got scared, and then turned and looked at the car before it bailed. And we filmed this a week after the uh, the, the North Carolina episode where we saw that thing up on the hill. The, There's something on the hill, like that thing. One week later, now Matt was convinced that that was a human being um, spying on us or whatever. But during this filming of this particular uh, scene, like right here. Matt turns to me like after he hears Janet describe this thing, stop and stare at like, you know, pause in mid stride. Matt turns to me and goes, oh, my God, maybe that thing was a Bigfoot last week. It's the only time he's ever even broke a little bit on that. To my knowledge, at least.
2: On the outside, he knows it on the inside.
0: Yeah, we're lucky it wasn't tourist season because that's – you see that two-lane road, and that's the way it is for miles in and out of Helen. And so during the tourist season, like, it backs up. And, like, I – the where I grew up is only a couple of miles from Helen, but there were times, like, in tourist season, it would take us three hours to get to town uh, because the cars are so backed up. So you could just tell by the traffic alone, like, yeah, we were in the off-season for sure. I
2: love the off-season no matter where I am.
0: There were so many other things that we, we wanted to incorporate and didn't get to. Um, there's one in particular. It might take a minute to explain. So give me a heads up the next time you want to pause because uh, I think it's pretty funny and I think your audience might enjoy it. And Bobo got pretty upset with me.
1: Well, we can do it right now if you want.
0: Which is rare. Yeah, why don't we pause? We'll go to commercial because we got we to gotta pay our bills with the sponsors. And then uh, we'll tell a story and then hit play again.
1: Okay. Here we go. Ready to pause. 3 two, one, pause. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these
0: messages. I don't know if you guys remember the pizza joint that we ate at a couple of times, but there's a, a buddy of mine who moved down to North Georgia from Pennsylvania, and he opened a couple of local restaurants and businesses. And he has this, uh, this pizza place called the Nucucci Tavern. Um, Nucucci is the uh, Cherokee word. It's a valley that's right there, the Nucucci Valley. And so um, one day, uh, you know, I'd been doing Bigfoot research for quite a while, and he said, hey, you know who my business partner here, my co-owner is, don't you? And I said, no. And he said, it's, it's Tom Slick. And it was actually Tom Slick's son, Mm -hmm. you know, the famous uh, philanthropist, Tom Slick, who funded the first Yeti and the first Bigfoot research that was formalized. uh, His son co-owned that business. And so we got to talk and, and become acquaintances. And he had really cool stories about meeting and speaking with Grover Krantz and John Green and Peter Byrne. So we wanted to try to have some kind of in to film there and to have him on camera to talk to you guys, to have this like piece of bigfoot history that just happened to be in north georgia and i remember like one of the things that natalie and i kicked around is like they had this contest where if you ate this giant sandwich and you drank a pitcher of beer within a certain amount of time like you'd you'd win some prize but you'd get on like the wall of fame and so we were like oh maybe bobo could do that i could i think natalie floated it to you and not me but i remember you being be like damn it Pruitt, i'm not doing that why Why'd you tell him I'd do that? I'm not your monkey. I'm not gonna dance for you. And you were so mad at me for even like suggesting that. And I was, I was like, because at that time I was like, well, you kind of eat like that anyway, right? (laughs) I I was about eighty pounds heavier back then too, so I, I probably could have made it a tip. But I remember you were not happy with me at all for having floated that idea. But then, unfortunately, Tom Slick said, "No, I don't really want to be on camera." That it would have because they were trying
2: to get me to do all kinds of stupid stuff, like the network. Like, or the, not network with the production company, like, wanted like, yeah, they were, they wanted me to do, like, all, like, that wouldn't have been bad. Like, that would have just been, like, on its own. Like, hey, you want to do that? I mean, Hell yeah. But at the time, I think I was, because they, prior to that, like, in Alaska and then North Carolina, they wanted me to do, like, totally stupid things, like, rather, like, a bigger moron than
0: I actually was. Well, I got to give props to my buddy, Paul, who owns that place. He did all of our catering for that shoot, which was like, you know, because part of my job, you know, I had all the witnesses and all the locations and I I have to thank you guys tremendously because they were going to, you know, use all these witnesses and the locations and everything I provided, like the, the dash cam stuff. And it was you guys who said, hey, you, you need to hire this guy. Like, pay him to be there because he can take us everywhere. He knows the locals and he knows his way around. And so they actually hired me as the field coordinator and fixer, and I'd never worked in television production before. But part of that job was, like, I was in charge of lining up rental vehicles and helping rent cabins, but catering fell under my purview. And it was like, we're going to be filming until 4 o'clock in the morning in the National Forest you got to have hot meals ready for these guys. And I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to make this happen Uh, because, you know, everything in the offseason closes at like 9 p.m. And so my friend Paul, who owns that place, was like more than happy to help and stayed late and stayed after hours and made – Food for us and then put it in That's hot boxes. Right. For, you know, I'd have to like leave the National Forest at like midnight, drive back into town and meet him and like pick this stuff up at like 1 a.m. and drive it back to the National Forest. But uh, it was super helpful. So thanks so much, Paul Rampula and, and Nakuchi Tavin for helping us out.
2: Nice. You know, we had those cool cabins too. Remember, Cliff? Moneymaker fell asleep in the hot tub floating on his back. <laughs> yeah. And he woke yeah, up and was- the heat turned off and he was frozen to the bone.
1: <laughs> oh man, that that was a bad mistake. They put all four of the cast members in the same cabin and that's not a good, I mean, not, not a good recipe right there at all. Well, and then Renee was upset about the mess that you made with Pruitt and uh, and, uh, and and Bounds, Tyler Bounds. Remember? She came back that one time. She's all bent out of shape because you guys were, you know, watching TV and having a couple beers or something. And it's like, man, I just want to get away. <laughs> yeah. They, they never put us in with Renee. Yeah. Renee's got OCD
2: compulsion for cleanliness. She's very fastidious. Yes, and she was going nuts, and it was like nothing. It was like a couple of pizza boxes and a few empty beers. Like It wasn't like a mess.
1: There some newspaper stuff around, too. I mean, it looked like you were like letting chickens loose in the house and making sure they, the crap doesn't get on the floor, but it wasn't like that. Maybe, maybe it was so you didn't crap on the floor. <laughs> All right, everybody ready to get, jump, jump back into this thing? Here we go. Three, two, one, play.
2: There's Big John. He, he was a cool guy. He was like one of those, you know, he wasn't badass, but he was also a really nice guy
1: underneath it. Real sweetheart, yeah.
0: Nice. This was a hard spot to get to, and I remember when we were doing the pre-production, uh, the producers wanted me to like find a location that looked like it, and I was like, "Look, I, I know these guys; they are not going to be willing to go to some place that looks like they're going to want to see the actual spot." And so uh, they were like, "Well, you got to wait across the river," so I had to go to the local outfitter and like get all your sizes and rent waiters uh, for you so that you could uh, cross that freezing cold river, which was probably like nearly waist deep it was definitely above knee deep uh sub spots to get across you can see it there um but i'm, I'm just glad that they went with it and because that it would have been a lot easier to just shoot in some other spot in the creek there but uh it was authentic for sure
2: yeah you don't learn anything not going to the real set they always wanted us to not go to the, they want to do the easy out and i'm like no we're like we're not gonna learn anything if we're just fake where we're at Look at young Cliff.
1: Yeah, this is a real interesting, this is probably a great, uh, well, this is one of my favorite things about this particular episode because from the moment we got out of the car, we're thinking, oh, this is a really interesting area. We had to hike about maybe a half mile through woods to get over to the trail system where these prints were on the walk in and for the next hour and a half while we were there, we we're here in Knox. The, the Sasquatches were there while we were filming it. We heard knocks on the walk-in and uh, as we're poking around the rest
0: of the day. Yeah, this guy, Jeff, I know very well. And he's he's, he's a real he's a real man's man. But I'll tell you, like, he was unnerved enough by the presence of those tracks when he initially discovered them that when we went back there, if you remember this um, – he had a sidearm on and he was like, I'm not going in those woods without a sidearm. And so just for appearances, like, hey, will you tie your jacket around your waist so it doesn't look like, you know, we're walking around the woods carrying guns. And so that's why he has that jacket tied around his waist, if you remember that.
2: I know that feeling, dude, after I had my first gnarly encounter. I, I was packing for quite a while to that I was so freaked out.
1: You know, I pulled a couple of reports from this location since then. Um, I don't know if they saw the, uh, the 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 you know the episode and sent it to me because of that. But we also spoke to a, an older couple that had a cabin on Bull Mountain here that had seen sasquatches there before. So this area has a lot of history in it.
0: Yeah, very nearby. There's a, a booger hollow close to the spot on Bull Mountain, which, as you guys know, you know, very often is like a historical reference to. The boogeyman, the the woolly booger, the woods booger, the uh, etc. So they're kind of a, a antiquated Sasquatch. Yeah, the reference walking sticks. Sasquatch reference. Been to that spot many times. Had one of the the closest uh, aggressive black bear encounters I've ever had in that spot. Following up on John sighting and go in to take a look at it. Now, John's sighting happened in uh, the 1990s, and uh, I'd been in that general area many, many times. This is close to, you're getting close to the headwaters of the Chattahoochee River in this particular location, but it's, uh, as you saw with the waiters, it's not easy to get to. Oh, and
1: there's the commercial. Remember, Matt, Matt said, I
2: think this guy's lying, and then he was going to come kick, kick Moneymaker's butt. Remember that? He was like, he was going to drive to the next state we were filming in and all that. Hmm.
1: I do remember that Matt didn't believe him. So, but that's the thing, you know, some people maybe, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I had, I think I had a beer with John, you know, at, at that pizza place, but I didn't, I didn't listen to his, uh, his sighting report at the location. Um, even if, he, even if he's not telling the truth, it almost doesn't matter for Bigfooting in general. I mean, well, it doesn't matter for Bigfooting in general. Those outliers will fall away. So many people report things. And I, I, I don't see any reason why I should doubt that he is not telling the truth, of course. But. Well, Matt
2: couldn't believe that the log fell silently, But when they're that old and rotten and water sogg like that, it just sounds like a clump of snow, like when it was a clump of snow so falls off the roof. It sounds like that. when I mean, it's real soggy.
0: Yeah, that upper Chattahoochee River Basin is, there's a lot of reports that come out from there. Some of the most compelling experiences and encounters I've had were in that general area up in that river basin. And uh, it's a great area.
1: Well, oh, it's a Pete Travers sketch right there. Well, that's interesting. A friend of mine saw a Sasquatch actually uh, over here in the White River, and he described it in similar terms, like a a no hair on the forehead, is sloping back, and things. He described it as a kind of like those really old chimpanzees, I guess, in a way, where a lot of the hair in the head is missing. (laughs) I love that look on his face.
0: Cliff's walking the uh, the hippie route barefooted.
1: <laughs> As I'm wont to do.
2: Do you, to, do you have to tell yourself don't walk duck-footed when you do that, Cliff? No,
1: I can't help it. I was born that way, man.
2: No, I mean when you're doing the recreation of the stepping.
1: Uh no. No, because if I'm if I'm leaping at all, you know, um it just kind of naturally forms that way. Awkwardly, yes, says Renee. Renee, I challenge you, name me one thing that I do that is not awkward. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I, I roll think of any. Exactly. Now we're filming this scene when Tyler runs up. Tyler's all sweaty, and he's like, "Oh my God, like, like, I can clearly tell that something is up." And he reports to us as we're filming the scene, that he just located footprints down the road. On this little like washout where uh, water erosion happens and make like brings all the silt down in this particular area so even though they play it on television like i found the footprints that's not the case uh tyler bounds actually found the footprints down down right down the trail downhill from here uh but of course tyler isn't on camera he's not a character on the tv show so that's one of these times that we we change the story for the television's sake that caused a big
2: stink, though. I mean, we, had a, we were like, no, we got to have Tyler come in the show. And they're like, no, we can't have people coming in all
1: the time. And, you know, I kind of at the time, I disagree, but now I understand why they did that. Yeah, now I understand. So, yeah, this is where Tyler found the footprints. Um, there were two of them spaced something like seven feet apart, if I remember right. Um, of course, that was a left and a left. I remember, Maybe a right and a right. No, it was okay. It was a right and a right. And, like, who the heck's running off down that slope? And he, and, he, and he didn't mark him. You had to find him yourself when you walked down there. He just told you where to where to go on that trail. Yeah, yeah, he told him. And so that there was some discovery happening there, I guess. But.
0: Yeah, I remember after you cast these, there was some worry that the production company was going to take them. Yeah. Know, we got to get these we got to get these out of here. And so we had some of those leftover pizza boxes at the cast cabin and my mom came to visit to meet everybody, you know. And so uh I think we sent them we sent them with my mom like those fresh footprint casts in a pizza box, <laughs> you know. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, they, they, I mean, they have the original, that, that one Josh Gates cast, the, actual, the real thing, you know, that, that Josh Gates got on that one show. Um, and then the, the Bhutan Prince they're in the production company office, but why? Like it's, it's in LA. Like why would you keep good evidence there of all places? You know? So um, I I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to copy them and like share them appropriately and get the evidence out there. So when um, the producer, Natalie says, Hey, yeah, they they want, they want you to ship these back to the production company office. I went, what? No, no. And then Natalie goes, well, that's between you and them. I said, great. And so we, we whisked them away with Pruitt's mother and I, we told her, don't do anything with these unless, you know, I tell you what to do with them or, you know, don't don't do anything. that the production company wants, um, and at least until we have a chance to copy them. And then that caused a big hullabaloo. And I had to spend a lot of time on the phone with the owners of the production company. And uh, basically they conceded to let me copy them at least. Um, and they have a copy, you know, and they have copies in the shop now. So I, I could distribute a couple copies to various people who might be interested. So um, whatever that's worth, that was one of the early butting of heads with the production company again, but they came around, you know, we complained about the production company, mostly for season one, they eventually came around and uh, conceded. And they, I think that everybody was the winner because of that, because they let us have a little bit more control. Um, It's real Bigfoot stuff happening in here. Nothing's faked at all. And um, they eventually, you know, saw that, yeah, they could trust us with that, you know, a little bit different. Well, the archive photo. Yeah, that was was from the Patrick Gimlin film, but the the aspect ratio of the film was, or the picture was off.
2: I'll rewound it for a second.
1: Look how glorious your hair is, Bobo.
2: It's magnificent.
0: Luxurious. Exotic plumage. (laughs) Plumage. It attracts potential mates and wards off competing males. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why Moneybaker had to grow his out. The the constant dominance, like, hierarchy battle.
2: (laughs) I won, but then I abdicated the throne. I I, I just rewound. I wanted to check out. For the archival pictures they showed... They flashed. I wasn't sure if it was a, a pair of fake uh,
1: tracks. No, they're not. No, no. Those are archival photos are those are the Patterson Gimlin film cast. Those, oh, oh, this will kind of squished down. Yeah, yeah. That they were. Um, the aspect ratio was incorrect on the on the on the footage. On the okay, so that's what, what threw me off. Sorry, where are you guys? Where are you guys? At? Hold on. We got to get Bobo caught up. Everybody, pause. Three, two, one. And cut to commercial. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. All right, back from a commercial. Bobo's caught up. He's at the same place we are. Uh, let's go ahead and push play. Ready, everybody? Three, two, one, Play. Well, look at that face of Moneymaker. <laughs> you believe they it. exist,
2: <laughs> dude? I just watch Moneymaker's face all the time and just
1: laugh. He's, he's, so he's expressive. very uh, expressive, to say the least.
2: I was so hungover that day. <laughs> I was partying pretty hard, She's as long as I thought i better never come back here. This might end in a month.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the production company changed the entire schedule around for us just so we could cast these prints. We were there way after dark. Um, it was a big deal, you know, It was a real big deal because these are real things in the ground that we that Tyler found and we had an opportunity to cast on camera. They rearranged the schedule for us, so gotta be thankful for that. And we had to go back like a a half mile or so, three quarter of a mile to the car to get the casting material and the whole nine. It was a big hullabaloo. Was that the first ones you ever poured in the ground, Cliff? Um, I can't remember. Maybe they might have been. I think they were. Turned out to be Sasquatch prints, at least
0: you know. Right, right. This is where I finally got to make my television debut. Uh, Only on camera briefly, but frustratingly. When we were scouting, you know, I was having to go off into all these wooded places um, to show Natalie everything and see everything. And at some point, I touched either poison ivy or poison oak or something and then touched my face. And so by the time we filmed this, I had this, like, blistering scab sore, like the size of a silver dollar on my forehead, like right between my eyebrows. (laughs) And they're like, hey, you want to be on camera? And I was like, oh, great. So, uh, in the few shots you see, I have this this like uh, winter cap pulled down like right to my eyelids, like cartman or something, <laughs> because it would have looked like I had leprosy or something otherwise. But yeah, we filmed this. This was like way behind one of those gates in the uh, chattahoochee national forest that you know there was nobody out there whatsoever like miles past this gate where no one has access to and so uh they said oh uh, so it was i was there and then they also had some of the uh other production crew kind of stand in as the local georgia bfro investigators which they they were not but uh one of whom was a really good friend of mine named chris Thacker, who i grew up with he was a super talented musician and if you guys have ever heard of the uh the, the country music artist, um, Dirks Bentley. He's the stage manager for Dirks Bentley nowadays. Oh, okay. So we had the trusty R2D2s out there.
1: Yeah, that was cutting edge back in the day, but nowadays there's like, so much smaller and cooler and better than that. Those ones
2: were loud, but I don't know why we didn't use those every freaking episode. If we really were trying to get footage, we should have that thing running every episode. I used to drive me crazy. I said, we, we already used it. We can't use it twice. Which was stupid because we we used handheld therms every episode.
1: He'd never get mad out of the car, though. He'd always want to be in the car driving around. That's true. I still have
0: that same forerunner. I still drive that same vehicle, although it looks much worse these days. Georgia. There's my friend Chris with the beard there.
1: Oh, there he was. I saw Pruitt's face peeking out from underneath the the beanie.
0: Yeah, Georgia and uh, Maddie were two uh, production crew folks that were hired from the Atlanta area, and they were great. They were so fun to work with, and I still keep in touch with Maddie. Uh, they're really good folks.
1: Oh, there's Tyler Bounds.
0: This is really rough in, it, in terms of field research, when you're just yeah. <laughs> sitting in a, in a heated vehicle. So' <laughs> do up it. a Ford Service Road. But yeah, I remember they wanted to do this like caravan, and so it certainly looks like a big caravan on camera for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't like this kind of stuff. I I'd rather go in quietly and slink around.
0: After all you guys left, Tyler and I stayed up there like way up on top of the mountain doing calls and listening for quite a while. But it was dead quiet by that point. But you guys had heard something like while we were filming. Um, But then subsequently there was nothing. But it was great being out there, you know, because we just knew like after all you guys left, like we're the only people out there. And also remember um, another like you remember, Bobo, they wanted you to have to like chase after the thing that that Georgia saw. And we'd already identified exactly what it was. It was an owl. And you were like, I'm not chasing after it. And they were like, look, it it will make more sense on camera if you chase it. Because then it gives us a reason to follow you to solve what it was that was seen. And you were like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I remember, I think it was uh, Bisha said, I'll give you the rest of my trout pasta. Because my buddy Paul whipped us up this awesome rainbow trout pasta. And you're like, okay, I'll do it. And (laughs) you, you told me and Tyler... Don't tell anybody I sold out for trout pasta. Now I'm telling everybody. <laughs> Secret is out. I like to eat. It was it was outstanding trout pasta, that's for sure. It was good. I'm so much sold for it. Do it for the fans.
2: <laughs> we didn't even know if we had any fans yet at this point.
1: Yeah, first season, we didn't know this was going to be a, a hit. We had no idea.
0: They're saying that was an owl? No, because remember that was something that was inserted subsequently. Remember what she saw was just like this little vertical blip. And that was one of the complaints I remember after. Because remember there were a couple of things like the horse in Florida. And that was one of the other things that everybody was like, Wait a minute, that wasn't what was seen or filmed.
1: Oh, that, that was one of those things. Yeah. Upright
0: looking figure. And so you guys I remember kind of outed that at the time publicly in some of those like public posts and discussions, you know, that led to season 2 and beyond being a lot more uh, you know, the production team being a lot more willing to play ball with what it was that you wanted to accomplish. Yeah, they realized
1: we can actually make a good compelling Bigfoot show by telling the truth. You know, which is was unheard of.
2: Because yeah, they were used to doing that other show where they just fake stuff left and right, like all reality shows are fake.
1: Yeah, reality shows are not—they're they're, they're ba- badly named. It sh- that shouldn't be the name of the genre in general. Reality, you know.
0: So there was Bobo running. I can feel Bobo's palpable hunger for trout pasta in the way he ran. <laughs> See,
2: it's like it's tangible. Dude, you got me thinking about that now. God, I'm getting
1: the munchies. Oh, uh, Pavlovian drooling. Yes.
2: That's when I used to wear, like, all, all Carhartt. And I realized after five or six, seven years, that why are these other guys all wear down? And I switched over and was like, what the hell did I wait so long
1: for? <laughs> well, if they were giving you clothes, it'd be one thing. Right.
0: So, yeah, Matt had heard something in response down there. That's why Tyler and I stayed behind with some audio recorders um, afterwards to see if we could get anything else. But it was pretty quiet after that. Yeah,
2: that looks kind of demonic on night shot.
1: Up like that before a call. That was dubbed in, wasn't it? I don't know. I have to assume, but I don't know.
0: Definitely does not feel like this was ten years ago. Seems like (laughs) twenty.
1: Oh, yeah. Of course, uh, Matt is descri- if you're listening in your car, Matt's describing the vocalizations and just imitated it. And anything he does to imitate a Sasquatch sound is always awesome. Look at this. It's so funny to look back on all this. I just remember bits and pieces of all this, and I can't remember. Exactly. I just yeah. remember, like, I could have told you step by step everything that happened. Now I barely remember anything about them. All right, and here's the, the, the wrap-up of the episode and the credits and all that sort of stuff. Evan Stone, Chad Barron, Hugo. Wow, all these names. People that we spent time on the road with. and Yeah. All right. All right, so there you go. I just pushed pause. I don't think it matters that we all push pause together at the very end there. But uh, that was, I, I don't know, how do you guys feel about this? We'll find out. I'm sure we'll get some... I'm sure we'll get some strong feedback, oh yeah, we usually do.
0: <laughs> well, I think anyone that's a fan of the show is going to want to hear those kind of behind the scenes things, and it would certainly be interesting to the audience to hear, especially these early episodes, how it shaped you know your guy's experience. like I know for me as a quick anecdote, you know growing up in this area, when I started gathering reports and and looking for witnesses and trying to gather information it was about two thousand two and I remember there were several places that I had reached out to. That, you know, people that I knew that worked at these places or people that my dad knew because my dad was a local town doctor. And so there's one place in particular that I won't embarrass by uh, calling him out. But I'd gone up there. I printed up these business cards that had like a my phone number, and my email address that basically said like, you know, if you've seen or heard something like this, please contact me. And I went to this place and they're, uh, they're an outdoors. There's like an outfitter. And I had asked if I could put these cards up like on the counter or on like the bulletin board. And they literally laughed at me. And they, hey, come look what this kid has. Ha, ha, ha. And they just not only told me no, but basically said like hell no and laughed at me. And after this episode and after the show got popular, all of their branding is Bigfoot related they have like Bigfoot iconography in their logo and on their t-shirts and on their stickers and on everything and so I went back there just a couple of years ago with my wife and I uh, was in there and I, of course like I got a couple of Bigfoot shirts and the guy was like oh you like this stuff huh and I told him the story. I was like I don't know if you remember me but and he was like yeah well sorry <laughs> you know <laughs> so it, it really changed kind of the landscape for this one particular town in this one area in terms of making it more acceptable to talk about and kind of reduce the stigma. And I'm sure you guys did that everywhere you went around the country that these local towns, you know, it's a conversation starter and also brings to attention the amount of information that comes out of a single place. I mean, that episode, you've got tracks, you've got footage, uh, you're hearing vocalizations in the field. So it's not insubstantial. There's actually quite a lot there, which was pretty exciting. So, and I was just thankful to get to do it. And again, uh, you know, I never would have like chased a gig like that, but the fact that you guys pushed to have me hired and to be there i'm super grateful for and it was a great experience I loved it you're welcome thank you <laughs> course,
1: Georgia in general is often overlooked in Bigfoot um, you know just last week, I was kind of surprised I was looking uh, up some statistics for um, a blog journal I was uh, writing for the membership section of the North American Bigfoot Center. Um, And I I was going to comment about how I, I wanted to write down how many forested acres I think Oregon had. Uh, Oregon has, you know, and, um, of course Oregon had at the time, I thought Oregon had the second highest number of forested acres, second only to Alaska, but something's changed in the last five or 10 years since I learned that statistic. And I guess Oregon has been, uh, maybe perhaps doing a little bit more foresting because Georgia is now number two, Georgia, apparently, uh, to the, m- with the most recent statistics has the second highest number of forested acres out of all 50 States with Oregon is number three. Well, it was a good episode and, I, and it is kind of fun going back and watching the early ones because, uh, you know, uh, first season, yeah, we bumped heads with the production. We didn't trust them because we didn't know if they're going to make it into some sort of like, you know, uh, th- those shows were like they get a bunch of um, pigheaded individuals and make them live together. So they argue, you know, we thought it'd be like one of those reality shows if we weren't careful. So we're always real cautious about what we said to the camera and how we reacted and stuff. Um, and, you know, and also we wanted to keep it authentic because whether the show is successful or not, we're still Bigfooters. And, you know, if you lie in Bigfoot or you're involved in some sort of hoax, that's it for you. That's it. Um, you know, eventually the, unfortunately the community, you know, forgets too quickly in some cases, I believe. But, um, for the most part, you know, your, your reputation is everything in Bigfoot. And as long as you have the reputation of honesty, then they'll forgive you when you're wrong. Right. But, um, these early episodes, we were so cautious and paranoid about stuff. Um, It's kind of neat how we eventually had that all turn around and we could actually uh, produce a show that was honest and truthful and showed real Bigfoot activity um, and real recordings and real photographs and real this and that, you know, and, and, and still have it be a success. And when Chad Hamill, our producer was on the show and we talked to him, he said it is pretty much the most real reality show he's ever worked on. You know, and eventually Finding Bigfoot came out to be something that we could be proud of, proud of being associated with and proud of working on. So these new episodes were kind of the, um, the crucible, you know, of where we all, all the different forces were pushing against one another. And we can finally find some sort of equilibrium between good entertaining TV and good real Sasquatch uh, investigation.
2: Yeah, it was a so
1: that was a blast from the past. I haven't seen that since, you know, since we did it. I guess with that, I, I, I want to encourage you, the listeners out there, to uh, write us with your opinion. Did you enjoy this? Did you not like it? You know, try to be nice about it if you didn't like it, because if you're a jerk, we're probably just not going to read your email or maybe block you. So, um, But try to be cool about it and let us know what you really think. You know, Is this something you want to see or hear more of, I guess? Hear more of, because you, you don't see us. But we could do this with other things, too. We could do it with like Legend of Boggy Creek or... Yeah. You know, it's something like that. Uh, uh, any of those uh, cool documentaries or schlockumentaries or movies or anything. This might be a fun way to get people uh, watching other people's stuff, you know? Yeah,
2: I'm down. I'm sure. Uh, I mean, we got a hundred big, Finding fish to do, so that's quite a few episodes of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Boba, why don't you take us home? Okay. All right, folks, let us know what you thought about us narrating long old episode of Finding Bigfoot. If you want to hear more of that, uh, we'll do it. If not, we won't. But till next week, thanks for listening and keep it squatchy.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.